a Bible, I'd love for you to grab one, and we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 10, very familiar passage that we'll be in. Um, we are just going through and continuing through uh, who Jesus says he is, some of these I am statements that Jesus makes, and um, John's Gospel, chapter 10, I'll give you just a second to get there. I, I want to kind of connect something that's just happened in this passage because, you know, typically when we see chapter 10, it's like, oh, okay, a new section, a, like a different story about to happen. But when these guys are writing this, they didn't label these with verse numbers or with chapters. In fact, chapter 9 and chapter 10 are happening on the same exact day, okay? So it's kind of important to understand. It's, under, it's also important to understand what happened in John chapter 9 um, and what unfolded in what Jesus did to prove last week's point. Like Jesus had a sermon illustration. Maybe you didn't know that Jesus used a sermon illustration. It's not my thing. Um, if you haven't noticed, I'd never use illustrations unless there's like a picture to help me out. But Jesus used a sermon illustration. And, and kudos to Jesus for doing that because he used a human uh, as an illustration to illustrate last week's point that he is the light of the world. So he went through that whole discourse and discussion argument with the Pharisees about how he is actually the light of the world. And in chapter nine, he's like, I'm gonna show y'all that I'm the true light of the world. So he takes this blind man and he does something pretty crazy. He takes some dirt, spits in it. Automatically, most of us are gagging at this point when they're watching Jesus do this. And he doesn't just play in the mud like our little children do. He molds it and then he slaps it on the guy's eyes. And immediately the man began to see. And Jesus said this, he said, see, I'm the light of the world. I turn darkness into light. And the Pharisees were incredibly ticked off at Jesus. And this is going to tie into this next statement. Pharisees were incredibly tired or, or, or sick and ticked off of this Jesus so much that this guy who had lived his life blind, they wanted to kill Jesus because he healed this man. Isn't that interesting? They wanted control over how things are to go because this man and their eyes belonged to the Pharisees. The Pharisees had ownership of this guy, not Jesus. And so they get ticked off and they go to his family and they're like, listen, um, Jesus healed your son. Uh, this isn't right. I, I don't approve of this. And so what do they do to this poor blind guy who just radically received his sight? You know what they did to him? They kicked him out. Nah, nah, bro. You ain't a part of our fold no more. And this is important because them seeing that they thought they had control over who was in and who was out is going to have huge ramifications on what Jesus is about to say in this next statement. Because this is important. Jesus is about to say, no, no. You're cute and everything that you think you control who comes in and out of the fold. But let me tell you something today. I am the door. I control who comes in and who goes out of my fold. And immediately these guys were just completely and utterly just ticked off again. It's like Jesus 
opens up the wounds of these jokers, digs his hand deep inside there, and he's like, oh yeah, you think you got this? I mean, you ever had that happen to you? I hope not, because it's kind of like a form of torture, right? Or like you've had a cut and you're like, I gotta get this thing out. Like this is what Jesus is doing. He is performing a surgery that they do not want and what is exposing them of, of their desire of wanting control over all people. So there's our context. If that wasn't heavy enough, I'll let you breathe in just a second, okay? Because it kind of lightens up in just a few moments. But this is heavy, y'all. You got to understand what's happening. Like this isn't some cute Jesus like coming out of this little sheep gate going, hey, boys and girls, today I am the door. And I let every one of you sheep in and out, right? This isn't Jesus doing this. Jesus is purposely offending these religious elite people because they thought they had control over everything. So John chapter 10, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 10, but I'm going to pause, of course, because I can't just read through the whole thing without saying something. You guys there? That was like a 10-minute introduction. You should have been there, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, and here's Jesus talking, right? He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens to the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. The point of this first few verses here before we kind of get into the meat of this is that Jesus is gathering his own flock, a people out from the fold of not just Israel, but out from the fold of that includes the Gentiles and, and good news, that's us, right? I mean, unless you're a Jew, I don't know you, right? But this is really good news, that again is just another slap to the face of these religious elitists. That it was just for them, this message of the, the kingdom of God was just their own message. But Jesus yet again talks to them and offends them and tells them, listen, there are some sheep that are out there that belong to my fold. And I love how he says that this is a figure of speech. This is not a parable. If it were a parable, Jesus would have said something like, for the kingdom of God is like this. But Jesus is using figurative language so that they could really understand. Y'all know they had problems understanding the parables. So Jesus was like, I want to make sure you really understand who I am. And if he were in Georgia, he'd be like, I want y'all to understand who I is. Right? Because I, I am who I am, or a good translation, that I is who I will be. Okay? And that's ghetto that some of you will not understand. John 10 draws out this shepherd imagery that is laced throughout all of the Bible, right? 
It's going to get really deep into that imagery of there being a shepherd, right? You, I mean, and you heard this, this, this language of shepherd. Remember uh, the most, one of the most quoted chapters in the Bible, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. It's funny. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. And so check out what Jesus is about to say in this claim. So Jesus says to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse seven, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are the thieves and the robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find green pasture. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came they may have life and life abundantly. And just to step into next week, he goes right in to say, I am the shepherd. Who is the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Who is Jesus? The shepherd, the Lord. In, in this translation, the Kyrios or Yahweh. Yet again, Jesus making this super ridiculous claim that he is either the Lord or Yahweh, or he's, this is complete and utter blasphemy, and he does deserve to die under the law. And this is exactly how they want to respond, that they want to kill Jesus because of this claim of deity. So let me just kind of unpack this just a little bit. Now that Jesus is the doors to, this really just means that he is the door by which the sheep enter in safely into the fold and any other door does nothing but rob and kill and destroy you. And we've probably heard this verse, you know, the thief comes to seal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life. And we kind of put it in the context of that Jesus has come to give us like this beautiful, lavish field, like prosperous life. But under the context, when you dig just a little deeper, that's not what Jesus is saying. Here, Jesus is saying that you have been presented by a door by the Pharisees that leads to nothing but death and destruction and will destroy you. What is he talking about here? This weight of the law, extra biblical law that the Pharisees were trying to impose upon the people. That leads to death and destruction. And I believe that just like people of their day were, were faced with this door of an oppressed law and rituals and, and super like hyper religion. We too are faced with similar doors in our current day. We think that if we enter in this particular door or this door, that these doors will provide us this life of abundance and, and satisfaction. The door can be of sexual satisfaction. The door can be of prosperity or the door of achieving. And some of these doors aren't bad necessarily. Like, like it's a good thing to want to achieve. That's fine. It's a good thing. Like, like some of us, we think, Children are good doors, and yes, they are doors. They, they, they can be a good door, but here's the problem. The problem is when we put relationships and, and children and jobs and, and money and, and sex and all of these things as the thing that will satisfy me, that's when you've created an idol in your life. Or maybe your door is religion. 
And, and I don't mean like the good religion that James talks about. I'm talking about the false religion of, of rituals that you have to do this or, or be a certain type of person. You've just made religion an idol. And so notice who Jesus says is the door. Who is the door? I'm from the South, y'all. Y'all can talk back just a little bit, okay? It's, it's perfectly fine. Nobody's gonna escort you out of the room. Jesus is the door. And any other door, Jesus is, and this is what he is implicitly saying to the religious establishment, that these doors that you are trying to create, that you think that you are the gatekeeper, nah, I'm the door. D.A. Carson, a, a theologian, said that it is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but the humanistic dream of utopia that is the myth. Likewise, hear Jesus and, and his calling that his door is the only door, and that is not a myth. You chasing after a utopian life, that's the myth. And that's what Jesus is attacking and addressing. These religious leaders, they viewed this blind man once as their own sheep, but now he is no longer viewed as their sheep. In fact, they have exiled him from the community of the Jews. And this man was dismissed because he testified about Jesus. He testified about the claim and he gave glory to God because Jesus is God and he gave glory to him. They cared more about their own glory. They cared more about their own control instead of the sovereign control of God. They cared more about their own ways instead of the ways of the master. And Jesus reintroduces them to the way of the king when he says, I am the door, not you guys. Jesus is saying that he is the only way he is the only way to a life of satisfaction. Not a bishop, not a prophet, not a man, not anyone who stands and claims that you have to do this, not rituals. None of this stuff gets you to Christ and to the Father. Jesus is the door. There is no universalistic door that says, choose your own path. And whatever path you choose will lead you to God the Father. There are no doors like that, according to Jesus. He is the only door. There, there are no, no doors that say you could follow after the Jesus who just says he's a prophet and he's not God, or who, who he says that he was once Michael the archangel, or, or whatever, insert the blank is, Jesus, the true Jesus he is the door, and he is the only door to heaven. He is the only door to eternity and to the Father. He says, so I am the door, and he goes on to say in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, this is a conditional clause that gives reference to the very fact that the Pharisees are not the flock of God. They are not in relationship with God through Christ. And this is yet an invitation for everyone. And I love this because this, this in lies, like gives us the sigh of relief and, and the breath of fresh air when he says, if anyone enters 
Anyone. And again, this was a bomb that just blasted in their face because for them, they were the chosen. They were God's appointed people. But Jesus drops this bomb into their community. And he says, no, but if anyone comes to me, whether you're black, brown, white, whatever nationality you are, whatever economic status you have, if anyone, if, if anyone comes to me. And dear Christian, don't think this is just for the sinner. This is also for you and I who have been possibly chasing after doors outside of Jesus, the door. This is not just for the sinner, but this is also for us Christians who at times are guilty and are at fault by chasing after something that is not of Christ Jesus. This invitation of anyone. And Jesus takes this blind man in chapter nine. He says, this guy, this outcast, this guy who's been thrown out of the religious flock. He's with me now. If anyone comes to the father and to King Jesus. And I want to look at verse 10 because this is kind of what he offers us as a result of coming to Jesus as the door. And and look what he says. In verse 10, for the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and life more. What? Abundantly, yeah. You will be saved. You will find green pastures only through the door of King Jesus. And particularly, like, look what he's saying that you're saved from, right? Like so many times, like, we focus on what we're saved into, but there's... There's incredible news what God has saved you from, right? Like he has saved them from the wolves. And in context here, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And most of the time, now I'm guilty of this. We say, see, that's Satan. Satan has come to kill me. Satan has come with a mark on my back just to destroy me. And yeah, maybe. But who's the thief in context? The religious people, those are the thieves. Those are the wolves. Those are the ones who are trying to devour and kill and stifle everyone around them. Those are the ones who are more concerned about their own power. The people are, the religious establishment. Those are the thieves. So many times we give like Satan way too much credit. But if you look in your Bible throughout the history of the Bible, Satan don't be messing with too many folks. And he comes on the scene every now and then. So maybe we could just stop blaming Satan and maybe there's another force of darkness driving it. And maybe perhaps the thief that's coming to rob us is this false religion of I have to do this. I have to be this certain way in order to find acceptance into the and to the kingdom. And that's exactly what Jesus is attacking here. The thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy is that false religion 
the one who has imposed their rituals, the one who has not just like imposed the biblical law, but extra biblical law. Like, oh yeah, Sabbath, yeah, abide-by. Oh yeah, and also you can't walk like 10 feet. Like all this rituals and this heavy weight that was never meant to be on the people. This is what's under attack by Jesus. And the thief comes to steal, but the door, Jesus comes to give. The thief comes to kill. What does Jesus offer? Life. The thief comes to destroy, but Jesus comes to give life abundantly, filled with purpose and meaning. See how this contrasts with another? This is what the enemy wants to do, rob you, destroy you, kill you, but this is what Jesus wants to do. And a way to find life, a way to find satisfaction, a way to find that, that abundance is only through the door of King Jesus. The life here is from the Greek word zoe, which is rooted back into uh, the life that God breathed into Adam in Genesis chapter uh, two and three, that God breathed this life of abundance into Adam, but Adam could not do what Christ could do. And now the second and greater Adam has come to breathe into all of us this abundance of life. The life that was lost in the garden, Jesus comes here to reclaim it and to breathe it in all of those who enter into the door of Jesus. That's really good news. If I were in a charismatic church, somebody would probably be running around right now. Just a couple thoughts and maybe a couple questions. What are we seeking after? Because that's what's happening in, in this story. What are we seeking after? What door, right? What door are we trying to enter in that we really have no business going into? What, what's that thing that you're chasing after that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and that has nothing to do with Jesus? What's that door? Is it, is it um, the things I've said, like the things that always come to my mind? Is it power? Is it, is it just like attain more in life, right? Is it, is it the sex? Is it the, the relationship? What, what are those things that you are constantly chasing after in, the, in a door that you're trying to make God? What, what are those doors that you're trying to enter into? And this one may, may sting us a little bit as it stung me. Just as the religious people had created barriers to enter into the kingdom of God, you know, I kind of got a feeling that sometimes you and I can be like that. Let me just, let me break it down for you. Sometimes I got a feeling I can be like that. Like create an unnecessary barrier for someone to come to Christ. And in a way that kind of, like just filters out in ways like, you know, we'll judge somebody by maybe how they appear or how they'll look. And, and, and I'm like, you know what? I just don't think I'm going to go share the gospel with this person. You know, it, it kind of like, it, it has many faces, right? 
I don't want to really invite this person because they get on my nerves. I don't really want to like talk to this person because I don't know them or, you know, they don't, they don't look like me or, or whatever. You know, you just kind of fill in that blank. But I feel like sometimes the church is really guilty of being just like this religious establishment who says, listen, we'll determine who gets to come into the fold of God. And what kind of barrier have you created in your own mind You know, that says, you know what? I'll determine who, who I invite and who I share the gospel and who I share King Jesus with. I'll, I'll determine that. And, and what you've done is you've just created a barrier and you're just like the Pharisees in the story. Or, or I'm just like the Pharisee in the story. You know, sometimes that's because of comfort and convenience and, and, and you know, sometimes I meet people and I forget that I'm, I'm no longer in the South of Southern hospitality, right? You know, in the, back in the South, they would be straight up so nice to you that you would think they're your best friend, but deep down inside, they hated your guts. But on the surface, they're like, how you doing, boo? You're doing good. You know, and then turn around, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. But here, yeah, I ain't got to worry about no Southern hospitality. Like, I don't worry about how somebody feels about me because they're going to show it. They don't care. I hate your guts. Okay, nice to meet you, right? Good to see you too. Find Jesus. And like when I meet those certain kind of people, I'm like, I ain't talking to you no more. (laughs) And I've met quite a few this week, you know? And I kind of just want to be like, you know what? I'm not going to share the gospel with this person. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm done. I'm done being nice with this person. I'm going to flip out on them next time I see them. And like enraged, Matthew comes out. In fact, I don't really have to come out because Miranda has an alter ego. It's called um, Murfrika. You don't cross Murfrika. You don't, like I didn't even have to get out my, my bad self because she done got it out like three miles ago. You know? And what barrier are we creating when we're like this? And there's a danger for us to do that. And in in essence, what we say is, no, I'm the door. But Jesus just wants to come out and lovely correct us and says, no, Jesus is the door. He determines. This text is rich in the message of salvation, right? Jesus calling and and naming and, and gathering his own fold. Jesus does that, not us. Jesus takes the sheep, which is such an interesting imagery if you've never thought this whole thing through. Sheep are very weird. Up in the mountain a few weeks ago, and I saw like a a fold of sheep. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go get those guys. I just want to say, hey, because they're always calling my name, right? Exactly, yeah. Some of you get that later. But the closer I got, like the more fearful they were. And like one of them started calling to the other. The other one started calling. To, and then we heard like the creepy one that was in the woods. It kind of echoes, sound like Sasquatch maybe, back in the woods. And they start calling. And they all just start running away. And I'm like, don't go anywhere. I want to pat you. But they're fearful creatures. And you know what else about sheep? If they probably would have let me come to them, they probably would have bit me. They're mean. They stink. 
They are afraid. They live their life with their head down. And yet Jesus says that you and I, you're not special. You're a sheep. But he loves your unspecial self so much that he calls you. And ain't nobody gonna name no sheep, but Jesus does. You know, you got Fufu the dog that you've named, but Jesus has his sheep and he calls every one of them by their name. What an incredible invitation that Jesus has on the offer, on the offer on the table here. You, you come into my fold, I give you a name. I'll call you by name. You'll be mine. I will care for you as your shepherd. Jesus Christ is the door. Jesus is inviting everyone. And, he's in, and, and I don't want to get this thing wrong because he's, he's also inviting the Pharisees. But, you know, he tells them I'm the light, but they're still spiritually blinded, right? He tells them I'm the door, but they're like, no, not actually, we're the door. We kind of determine this whole thing. So the message is yes for the religious establishment. And this message and invitation is for everyone. Jesus is inviting them yet their blinded eyes are so unable to see that the door is right in front of them. And I love this second part of verse nine. It's a promise of salvation. Jesus says, I'm the gate or I'm the door, however your Bible translates this. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is similar to what Jesus would say in one of his later I am claims in John chapter 14, verse six, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to me, to the Father, except through me. He is the door to all of us. That there are multiple doors to get to salvation and to eternity with Christ and to fulfillment and to satisfaction. There's one door and that door's name is Jesus Christ.